0: But, uh, good. yeah, good yeah. to have you here, and um, I'm excited to uh, talk about, I guess, my first kind of psychedelic ceremony, and obviously, you've done many, many more than I have, but uh, it was just, I think, uh, cool to reflect on what the experience was like and just all the new things that I learned.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first one's always, you know, it's always really special, and i don't know just chatting about it it's a good chance to sort of integrate what did happen there on that fateful day
0: yeah i mean the the community piece was just amazing i mean you you get there and people are just like hugging you right away you're just shaking hands and uh, as i noted in my substack piece it's <laughs> it's it's a truly unique interaction because you're you're meeting people right away and and there were there were a few people who right when i shook their hands and said hello and said what my name was and they just right away started just spilling their life story within a couple minutes. <laughs> there were a few people like that. I was like, Oh wow. Okay. We're just going right away. We don't have to spend too much time like exchanging pleasantries or trying to like prop up a facade of like who we are versus what we actually are. We can just like lay it out all out there. Like there's no shame, no fear. And as an open-minded or not an open-minded, but as a very open person in general through my writing. And when I talk to people, I'm not afraid to, relatively quickly start kind of talking about some very real personal things. So I felt like I, I fit in mm. perfectly there, but it was interesting to see how many people were just right away just expressing how much they're hurting and uh, sharing what they had gone through. And that to circle at the start of the ceremony was really nice where you, you went into partners and just answered various questions, things that we're grateful for, things that we're challenged by right now and whether or not we're grateful for our challenges and how we can learn from them. Um, it, it, was, it was good to see other people open up and to relate to them on a deeper level.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's,
0: it's, it's such a uniquely intimate setting. And
1: it's, I mean, I go to these circles because it's just such a remedy for sort of standard North American culture, which is very task focused. Uh, sure, it's very polite and everything, but it's still there's a lot of wearing a mask. There's a lot of sort of performance and separation between people as they go about their days kind of trying to accomplish. What do I need? what What is it for me? What's the thing I need to do? Whereas there, there is, yeah, there's an immediate drop into the social circuitry of the brain. Um, people typically aren't really valued for whatever the one to three things that they feel cool for in the day to day. Like people are valued basically for how vulnerable and open they are. And, and, and it's just sort of a nice place to practice the trust exercise of sharing something vulnerable and getting a really positive response. And, you know, just, just as a matter of neuroscience, we we spend a lot of time in the middle of our brains, which is the, the fearful kind of primal response circuitry, but settings like this really activate a lot of the frontal brain and the the ventral vagal nerve, which has to do with like the kind of rest and digest um, system. So it, it's just getting us out of like a panic state and just, ah, there's good people in the world. And especially for someone like you, whose very task is to swim through headlines of the very reactionary atrocities of the world. Mm. I, I think it's, it's probably, I won't speak for you, but it yeah. m- might be nice to get a break to where people just kind of hug each other and are nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. That, that was a good break. And, uh, just seeing how much, and so, you know, the, the, there's beauty in sharing, but that, that beauty obviously expresses a deeper darkness in terms of the kind of hurt that people were expressing there. And I just noted down here um, on my little sticky note here, kind of overarching themes of what people were sharing a lot. There was, mm. and then this was in terms of what people were sharing um, uh, out loud to everybody or sharing with me one-on-one or sharing in the circle. There was a lot of like purposelessness. I'm lost. I'm trying to find some kind of deeper meaning. I'm not really sure what I'm doing and I'm trying to get a bit more of a structure. There was a bit of that. Uh, There was loneliness. That was definitely there. Um, A few few people talking about how busy they were, about workaholism, constantly working all the time and spending little time attending to their feelings, lack of purpose, a couple of people talking about chronic pain, actually, which is interesting, kind of relating to some of my Mm -hmm. situations. I think there were two people who talked about jaw pain in particular and how they had made a little bit of breakthroughs in their experience, and that was really interesting. And um, I I guess to pick one of those things, um, there there was one person who you know, obviously we're not going to name them, and and he's a counselor, um, and we, we, we were partners for one of the group questions. And he expressed how lonely he is. And, you know, he talks about how he has many, many male clients and works with them through their issues. But when he gets home, there's this dark period of like isolation, of feeling that he's all by himself. And like that really penetrated deep down inside because I I really related to that. And it, it was sort of ironic, but just very interesting to see how somebody, you know, in that position who helps facilitate healing for other people is himself dealing with a very core issue that lead many people to seek out people like him in counseling, right? So it just goes to show the kind of universality of that loneliness problem that uh, many people face. And it was just really touching to kind of share that moment with him and just to see the, there was a, there was a, there was a deep sort of tragic sadness in his eyes and he kind of teared up a little bit. And it was. I guess just speaking to the broader loneliness that many people feel in this time. Yeah. Well,
1: it's very hard to find a counselor who doesn't know loneliness for, for one, but it sounds like that touches something you're, you know, you're not so you have your own familiarity with as, as someone in a very hyper-social constant interaction kind of workspace. But at the same time, you know, like, like any therapist, like, What's that like at the end of the day when all those sort of conversations go silent? I could definitely relate to that too, and and I think um, five or six years ago, especially long days working with folks and then so intimate, and then just feel like just drained and alone after. It's yeah, it's,
0: it's very interesting. Yeah, and and we can actually just linger there for a second. This is something I was talking to this counselor that I mentioned and another counselor there as well afterwards about. That there's kind of a perception among people in general that counselors have their shit figured out that they're sort of, of a higher, higher consciousness So you sort of farther along the path of enlightenment, whatever that means than most people are. And I, I assume that's true to some extent, like, you, you don't want your counselor to be clinically depressed or super anxious or to be, you know, going circling from you know, divorce after divorce and shitty relationships. You know, there, there's actually, there's actually one counselor who before working uh, at Thrive, working with you, Carson, One, one local counselor where I just spoke to her and just asked a bit about her life and she was sharing how she was going through a dark period of depression last year and just getting back into working with clients. And I was like, is this really the person that I want to come talk to if she's really sad and depressed on the inside? Like, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. So, um, it's, it's, it's interesting how, like, I guess we're all humans, right? So, somebody who has a counseling degree who spent a lot of time uh, looking inwards and healing certain traumas, I think are going to be better able to live a happier, happier, fulfilling life and have meaningful relationships. But I guess they're not immune from any kind of outside struggle. But But I guess that fine line between not necessarily counselor and ordinary person, but let's say unexamined, unaware sort of, Algorithmic person who's just kind of following their past mm. patterns versus somebody who has done the deeper inner work and really looked at the darker parts themselves and and uh, come to realize deep truths about themselves and are on a path of acceptance and healing. I think those two categories are are very different. And I guess being in the the latter category, which hopefully <laughs> hopefully all counselors are in that category and they've done. A lot of the deeper shadow work, um, you know. Hopefully, they're in a better place to then help other people, as opposed to just forever kind of struggling with their own issues. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really
1: well put. I, I I think it's important for for a therapist for to have really known the darkness. But I kind of hear you saying, yeah, but you maybe you maybe you don't necessarily want to connect with a therapist just being swallowed by the darkness. It's just life is totally. Um, falling apart, which is tricky because to disclose, like, in all my therapist circles and consultations, very frequently therapists will just report, you know, getting hit hard by burnout and and having a hard time kind of keeping their head up. But all I know is I would rather see somebody who is full of um, compassion and emotional depth and good training, struggling than somebody who has never been tested and came from a perfect secure attachment and is just like working very much from a book and a manual. Um, I would way rather work with somebody struggling than, than that case. And, and you don't see a lot in, in the therapy field, but every once in a while, there's somebody who's just kind of had like a trauma-free life and, and they're very nice and full of love. But I just don't know if there's as much attunement for when you're going into your own darkness. Like, I don't know if there's a container to totally understand it unless they've really tasted what aloneness feels like. Mm
0: yeah and and this also raised a question in my mind after talking to this counselor and 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 a couple other people too in this space broadly of like what what's kind of the end point here like what um as a um uh, as as somebody who has done a lot of this deeper inner work um at, at what point are you um at a at a, at a space where you're more or less kind of fully healed, like as, as much as that is possible, like what's, what's kind of the, uh, uh, the difference between those two groups that I outlined earlier between somebody who has done a lot of the deeper inner work versus somebody who hasn't like, like both groups are going to be still, you know, the person who's done, you know, many years of meditation retreats and countless ayahuasca retreats and feel a connection to God. And then how about all these things in line? obviously they can have a tragedy hit them like a loved one dies or a breakup or a divorce, and they can be just as broken for some period of time. But what's, but, but, but at least, you know, that person isn't going to hurt as much or be as depressed as the other person who hasn't taken the time to develop a spiritual practice and to get in touch with themselves. So like, what, what's kind of the, um, the, the difference between those two people, would you say, like, at at what point? Are you uh, fully kind of uh, realized in some sense and that you've done the deeper shadow work and that you no longer necessarily need to be, you know, going to therapy every week or, um, or, or you know, doing psychedelics every month if that's what you're doing or constantly kind of seeking ways to, to help yourself? Is, is that – and I, I assume you could speak from experience if there's a certain point in your life um, after – a certain set of experiences where it's like, oh, okay, now, now I'm kind of on the other side, you know, not that I'm a fully enlightened master who can just live in the mountains all day and just meditate for 20 hours. But like, like I can just be uh, you know, relatively calm and, and at peace and have moved on from a lot of the things that were holding me back in the past. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a
1: great question. Like, what when, what's the marker? What's the benchmark for, oh, I'm healed. And and the traditional thing people will say is, well, it's a journey. You're you're always healing and you know, you never arrive. But I I would to give a more pragmatic answer, I would say the sort of arrival point is when you're no longer struggling with the tragedy of life, where like the inevitability of loss and, and death and disease and getting fired, these things will always be there. But when the nervous system has hit a recovery point such that as tragedies happen, include things like depression and anxiety, when the fight is over with it, when there's sort of a fluid ability to let things happen without just getting triggered into massive internal wars, when there's enough self-compassion with our own nervous system that our emotions come and go without um, getting stuck in long-term depressive patterns. That is really when I see healing having been achieved. And some of the outer markers that come with that are folks tend to be doing career related things that uh, nourish them instead of um, taking the job because it's got the right money and benefits and and burning out. Um, Folks tend to have uh, quality relationships and in all of, like most of if not their entire circle are people that they love and trust. Um, They tend to uh, be very comfortable with their emotions and have no shame around them such that they can laugh, cry, get angry Um, they tend to be very good at asking for what they need in relationships and setting boundaries. Um, there's sort of like a checklist that I've written down sometimes in documents of like, how do we know that we've like, again, healing goes on forever, but there are some very like left brain ways of sort of measuring, have I, have I done my primary healing? Um, have, have my old relationships gone through the phase, like where I was hurt? Have they gone through the phase of, um, traumatic overwhelm? To then getting angry at the people, to then grieving that it happened, to then reaching forgiveness. Um, that you know, I could go on, but but there's just sort of these lists that all show up as as a more of a fluid fluidity in the nervous system instead of getting stuck and tripping over everything all the time.
0: Yeah, and another marker might be that you're not falling into same into the same patterns anymore. I'm, I'm curious if you could maybe even speak yeah. to that because. I'm I'm sort of I, I've identified the patterns in my case what they are A, B, C, D. I, I know how they manifest I know I get repeatedly trapped in those patterns which is which is a level of awareness that I didn't have 12 months ago so that's kind of a win in and of itself um, so you know getting past those uh, barriers to living a happy joyful life I I think that I think that's a uh, an important marker and. Is that something you've noticed, like a certain trend in your life where you're, you were able to get past that particular pattern that was manifesting itself in all different areas and you were able to turn over a new page gradually?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like
0: a, a way to put, you know, I'm
1: glad you brought up the patterns because basically if we're stuck in like habitual, often self-limiting or even self-destructive patterns, it's again, it's because we're, we're not in the front of our brain our we've got an activation in the central primal brain so our bodies look for something to cope to numb to escape and that's where most of our patterns that we just can't seem to get out of are. and for myself i um i like addiction became very forefront for me because during when i was going through traumatic stress when i was like 10 the adults um they gave me Gravol pills like they that's like a a sedative for nausea. And mm. because it's a sedative, it just calmed anxiety. So I learned, oh, you know, I can just sort of take something to make me feel better and mm. enter, you know, that intermingling with being Finnish and, and a lot of my genetics. Uh, I And then being in bands all the time and playing music, I, I would drink to excess when I was like in my uh, teens and 20s, like take ecstasy pills, do drugs. And it was... It was pretty unconscious. It was just sort of like this automatic script of helping me have some distance from the overwhelmingness of feelings I hadn't resolved. And all I can say is, especially from my early 20s, when healing became very conscious, I can say every passing year, the comfort to just sit in reality and just feel what's going on and feel my five senses and be intimate and close with others and not hide has become more and more prevalent such that like human relationship and interaction and art is just sort of more and more where I dwell. And those unconscious patterns of like uh, going for alcohol um, fade into the past where they just, they start to become uh, memories. I'm really glad I have, but if, if I'm like, you know, if I can do this, anybody can, it's just like healing and soothing the nervous system and putting down pain until there's a conscious, intentional control over how we go about our days instead of getting pulled into those um, numbing patterns that we all have to some degree. Mm.
0: Yeah, so for you the big one was alcohol addiction, you know, broadly drug addiction, and you know, the the social intoxication piece you mentioned being around people, playing in bands. So you see you're you're no longer prone to becoming victimized by those kind of forces in your life, maybe even if it's a If it's a different addiction because speaking of patterns a lot of people are prone to addiction which i i I definitely am and thankfully i i guess i've been sort of structured in a a certain way in my home where at least i haven't been exposed to any harder drugs than certain rules that are Mm -hmm. that are good for me so i hypothetically if i were in a different environment if you know if i was literally like next door you know potentially you know a few neighbors in, in my area um i could very easily be you know, doing drugs every weekend. A lot, a lot of my friends did that growing up, um, and I and I noticed that with cannabis too, quite a bit. Um, I'm I'm not sure what mm-hmm. what to feel about like people my age smoking a lot. I'm not. Um, I, I haven't really went into the literature in any depth on, on cannabis, but the, I I do notice with a few, a few friends who have this uh, dependency on cannabis where. Um, you know, they kind of use cannabis every, every evening just to wind down and they can't be without it. And if they're not without it, then all the anxiety comes. And so that addiction I think is very prevalent. And, um, I'm I'm curious if that's something you've broadly overcome or if that manifests in different ways. Yeah. Well, like plant medicine, like Iboga,
1: um, took the shine out of alcohol. Like it was interesting because with, again, my genetics, um, the, the, the fins, they, they drink, man. Mm. Um, alcoholism is just like prevalent on my mom and dad's side. Uh, in a way I didn't stand a chance. Like the first drink I had, I was like, Oh, Oh, that's how I'm supposed to feel. And you know, it was, I'm, I'm, I have that sort of genetic variation where if I drink, I get more energy and like, um, versus get sloppy and pass out. So it was all a recipe for disaster. But after sitting with a boga, um, alcohol has like no magnetic energy around it at all. It's, it's like, it, it, it if I think about it, I, my body feels just like, Oh, that's kind of nauseating. It has this poisonous characteristic. I just have no pull to, to go near it. Mm. So, um, I feel very safe. But with that mm. said, I know for a fact, if I, my life, like if I worked too much, if something really bad happened, if, um, my self care fell off, say, uh, uh, say something happened and the clinic shut down. I'd be joking if I, if I wasn't to say those old pathways are still there somewhere. So it's it's you know I'm I'd still be susceptible to it. It's just that I've written so many new neural pathways of reaching for connection with others. Um, again, creating art it, it, that um, oh this my relationship with my parents has just transformed so much that I, I've got so many safe factors that it's it's just. It's so much less likely mm. now.
0: And hopefully in that whole process, given that you also develop spiritual practice as well, a connection with the higher being that's real, not just an abstract idea, but but a real deep spiritual connection where um, you, you can you, you don't rely as much on material forces for whenever you feel stuck or depressed or lonely. You know, that, that's not something that I've personally felt yet, but that's many people who are on the spiritual path have developed that higher connection so that they don't continually need to mm. medicate and drug themselves every time that they feel shitty.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it's the,
0: it's funny cause a
1: relationship with God uses the same, uh, neurological pathway the, the ventral vagal nerve, like there's the same activation of like being in close, warm, safe relationship, whether it's with grandma or with God, it's, it's really interesting mm. how it works in the body. Yeah. Except
0: some grandma can die. Unfortunately. <laughs> that's a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> that's the tragedy. Gram- grandma can uh, die. God God can not Gra- grandma can die. That's that's yeah, the difference, no, right? God, uh, grandma can go be with God and but yeah, God won't die. Yeah. Uh okay, well one more question that I'm thinking before we uh back you know go back to the ceremony. Um are are you generally optimistic or cynical or 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 whatever sort of in between those two poles when you look at um, all the different clients you've treated at your clinic and what you've seen in people, are, are, you, are you broadly optimistic that you see, like, t- real, tangible results? Um, and and maybe, and maybe you can even reflect on, like, going in as a counselor of, like, you know, maybe there was a – and you, you can explain this. Maybe you were more optimistic or cynical from the start and maybe that view totally changed. Like, maybe, oh, man, people are actually getting better quicker than I thought. It's, it's actually much more accessible. And easier to actually make progress once you've poked a few different areas and helped help people penetrate a few barriers, or maybe you thought it was re- really or re- relatively easy, but for quickly realize like wow, this is very it's very difficult for a lot of folks to actually make progress. It's it's not easy at all, and it takes a very very long time. I'm curious where you lie on that spectrum um, after working with so many clients. Whether you feel that that, that a lot of healing is, is easily accessible or if it's, it's very, very difficult and takes a lot of dedication.
1: Yeah. Well, I have a couple answers. The first one, I actually just, it made me like, I feel a lot of emotion as I, as you prompted me to reflect on it, but it's cause before I started, I was naively optimistic. And now after like a decade of it, I have like an, If anything, I'm a little more optimistic than I've ever been because I've just seen over the last 10 years how many people are just starving for emotional connection to them, to others, but just to themselves. Like how much they just treat their inner child like shit. And when they just get the right care and prompts to love into that part of themselves and just forgive, like, you know, their eight-year-old self for just being a kid. It's, it's, it, it just feels like there's, a, there's so many people out there who just need a few key ingredients and then they can radically start down a path that the change happens like as the years go on. And I, I feel really optimistic because I've just, I don't know. I've seen it. I just came off a leading a retreat for veterans, which it was, it's never more pronounced than working with them where they're just in crystal palaces of shame and guilt. And then when they learn there are at least some safe people who can see them and, and care for just their, you know, the worst parts of them, they turn into kids. And, and I've just, I've seen thousands of people do that. So if anything, I've never been more optimistic about how change can happen. And then, you know, throw in psychedelics to boot um, where Sometimes that creates a more rapid pathway to it. I'm deeply hopeful for, for everybody's healing.
0: Yeah, and, and especially as psychedelics seem to be gain, gaining more traction in the media and lots of great studies coming out, and Alberta is going to be regulating psychedelic therapy. I'm not, not sure exactly how that's going to pan out, but that it looks really exciting. Uh, my friend, yeah. Dr. Mike Hart, based in uh, Ontario, he's very close to getting a license for prescribing psilocybin to his patients and working with counselors and create like a holistic, like more of a holistic medical system where the doctor says, Hey, go to this counselor. I think maybe you should try a session of MDMA or psilocybin. Like if this problem you're having here, go here, like this network of, of, uh, community members collaborating, um, as opposed to like a rigid mind body, uh, separation. And then often very, very, very little collaboration in between those things. So I, I'm really excited about that, and uh, we'll I, we'll follow it together, I guess.
1: Well, that's right. And
0: but one thing I just wanted to to, to say, because just the
1: second answer to your question, because there there may be people who listen to this and say, "Well, wow, I've seen eight therapists, and there was they didn't just do a few tweaks, and I burst into tears, and I, you know, forgave my mom." I want to say there. I, I've also seen many people who have, um, severe mood disorder presentations and, um, personality, uh, like so-called cluster B, um, characteristics where their injuries have crystallized into something that really does resist change. And I, I want to name that, uh, there are times, you know, as, as therapists, we work with somebody who's got such a thick depression. So they're so in their dorsal vagal circuit and there's just like this, it's just almost like the, the room is darker and, that is the reality. And there, there are some people just in their karma, their trauma, the pathway requires 10 times the work than other folks. So I just wanted to name that. Um, it hasn't reduced my optimism of healing, but there are heavy moments where where therapists and, and patients just sit in hopelessness. And it, it, I want to name that in case any listeners are in that place. That's normal, too. And it just it, it takes a lot of patience and trying different things.
0: Mm yeah, and finding the right counselor—not to somebody who does CBT, but somebody who goes deeper down right into the inner child stuff, right? Because I, because I've heard from a few friends who, you know, have met various counselors, and it didn't really work. It was there was no real connection there. They weren't able to go beyond like anxiety management tools or stress management tools. So finding the right counselor, you know, people should reach out to Thrive Downtown, or if there's another clinic nearby where they go beyond just the the conventional CBT formula that's i think that's the best way to go yeah and you know that's just it like
1: kind of sharing my weighing in a little bit like cognitive behavioral therapy uh has a lot of power and this is just only my opinion people can definitely have their own but i i observe it does work best with people um who are already doing like kind of good in some ways and and it for for when there's just like a lot of deep kind of traumatic suffering uh it's yeah i I definitely recommend a tool that goes beyond just sort of the cognitions just because the cognitive part of the brain is it's it has very little control over the deeper circuitry so that's why yeah that's where you finding some deeper inner child work um with somebody who's got a neuroscience background sure goes a long way
0: Yeah, well, yeah. Well, these are perennial questions that we'll we'll definitely explore more in further podcasts and conversations. So we'll 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 keep up these threads. Um, let's go back to the the ceremony. We just should want to do hit that. on a couple couple things that are really interesting. Um, and one of the things that I just noted down here was that there's a perception of that we're all in this together. No one is mm-hmm. left behind. It's it's a it's a it was, it was a community healing effort. There was no sense of everybody separate doing their own thing. The, the, there was one woman there who was going through a hell of a time. and There were a couple people really helping her out. Um, one elderly um, woman of, of, of Indian background who I really connected with, she, she was helping her out and really grounding her. And she ended up having a really beautiful trip towards the end. Um, and, and went with myself as well, without going into any detail. There, there was a time where I was just kind of confused and stuck. And didn't know what the hell was going on. I was feeling weird things in my mind and in my body and somebody just came and just like tapped me on the shoulder and was like, "Hey, are you, how how are you doing?" and I was just kind of just stuck like like what am I doing here? And they they just started kind of patting my back, kind of rubbing my back for a couple seconds and right then mm-hmm. I just kind of like spilled into tears. <laughs> <It> was, and then <laughs> there were some powerful emotions that came up and then uh, and then I kind of went through that and this person was really there for me at this very crucial time. And then later I tapped your shoulder and we kind of talked about a couple things mm. that were really important. Um, and then many of the people working with other people like sharing their struggles and finding this, this structure, um, where we're all supporting each other, that that was a really beautiful thing, especially in this age where everybody feels like their own isolated, separate bubble of existence, where mm-hmm. if, if you're, if you're by yourself in your apartment, like, you know, to some extent, no one really gives a shit, right? Like if you're just not seeing people all the time, right, you could be wasting away. And there's, there's not real, there's not a real accountability. of Like, how are you feeling today? What's going on? Like, how are you there? Whereas here, it's, you know, you, you really are, you're really in tune with what's going on and people really care about you and you care about other people. and And this should obviously go beyond just a once in a month ceremony. This should be more of a, of a regular thing that uh, I, I feel like here was really best encapsulated. And then and things that I, I feel like are kind of missing in more uh, traditional spiritual groups, like a church service or a meditation circle. There's they're, they're, even in those circumstances, there's not as much of an openness towards dealing with these things. And I, I feel like at, at a certain point in history, it's in certain parts of the world, like the, this way that we're living right now would be so totally foreign because there, mm-hmm. there there would be more of of a community effort together of like if somebody's feeling down there there's the community rituals, whether that's ayahuasca ceremony or within the Indian tradition there's the various meditative techniques or people come together and, and sing various songs. It's, it's you know, if somebody isn't feeling well then the whole community kinda cares about you. Whereas here everybody's isolated. So it was it was really interesting to see how much people care about you and are asking about you and then how much that that's it's just very infectious, right? People care for you, you care for them, and there's this, this amazing community of healing happening. Yeah, right. And it's a testament to our culture that we
1: need circles like this, because you, I think you're you're touching on the fact that there's many cultures where that's baked right into existence. Is just the the community. Um, there, there's like a just an instinctive huddling together of people. There's touch. There's interaction. I think you're also saying there's places where that would be very foreign, but um, here th- to me the stuff like that's like it's like coming up for air from like swimming back into a lot of how isolating things are in the day to day again very polite people around greater vancouver and canada very polite mm-hmm. but um but sort of intimate and just like uh t- you know touching and interacting and stuff so especially post pandemic there's just sort of a <laughs> You know, yeah. it feels a little more of a performance. People,
0: yeah, it's a big smile. Hello, I'm smiling. I'm,
1: you know, okay, it doesn't it doesn't seem to go in as much or penetrate too deeply. Yeah,
0: yeah. When I was in LA last year, um, and I met up with a few friends, and 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 it was it was really weird, just kind of moving away from this area, and and I guess kind of the I was uh, I was traveling in Santa Monica and Venice in Los Angeles. I was kind of various subcultures i mean venice is associated with hippie culture a lot of people um doing art together singing together a lot of people smoking weed doing psychedelics having fun at the beach that that kind of vibe and then right away when i was there like um a few of these people that i met were just just hugging you right away and just asking how you were and just inviting you into their homes right away and it was just uh even Mm -hmm. within a western society was just very different from some of the isolation and feeling of separateness that I, I kind of feel here all the time. So I, I hope more people can go along this direction. And then maybe some of these uh, psychedelic ceremonies can, can push people more into that direction. Um, our our friend Paul was on the podcast last time. He chimed in for a little bit and was talking a bit a bit about that, about how through his own healing journey, he's been able to express that to various friends and they feel more vulnerable and comfortable to share their own struggles with him. And so you're kind of mm. creating a community by sharing your issues. And I think for me and, and, a, and a few friends actually in my circle, even though most of them are American and I don't see them, but there's kind of a circle that I've developed too by being very vulnerable where, um, where I can just, you know, hit up a friend the other day and just kind of ask how she's doing. And she kind of just spilled a lot of feelings and we had a long FaceTime call and really kind of connected, which is very unlike a lot of normal interactions you have with people. Where you have to you have to masquerade your own emotions and and hide how you're actually feeling
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely
0: yeah um so the the other thing um uh, that I noticed apart from how many people were really hurting and expressing that hurt and how there was a sense of community um, it, it was also interesting to see some of the more. Explicitly, kind of religious and spiritual language that was being used at times. Um, what well, one point in particular, I was really surprised because they were doing the the Om Namah Shivaya song and uh, a, a couple of other Hindu songs as well. And, and growing up, I think from when I was eight up until like fifteen, there's the the Art of Living Foundation. It's a global like Hindu influenced meditation organization, and they're very very active all over. California, I know for sure, really all over Canada, the U.S., Germany, India, but there's a thriving community kind of within Vancouver. And so every, every Saturday they have what you call a satsang, where you, you sit together, you sing, you eat together, and, and, and not, not necessarily share your, your deepest traumas or your struggles, but just come together and sing and uh, just enjoy the music. And, and so they, they would play the Om Namah Shivaya song there and a few other songs that were also played. I think the, the Shiva shambo song as well. Mm. And so and so I was I was actually outside taking a breather and suddenly I hear them singing Om Namah Shivaya and I was like holy shit this is like exactly something that I would always hate going to like my parents would always have to force me to to, to go to these satsangs every saturday and I would absolutely hate the music and I've never really liked sort of traditional like very traditional forms of Indian music and festivities I I've 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 liked the spirituality but the Kind of the, the sounds and the music don't really appeal to me, but it, it, was, it was really interesting to see them, uh, the, the, the shamans, the, the people who were singing, um, sing these Hindu songs and also uh, songs from other cultures as well. Um, and also quoting Jesus a few times and bringing in Christianity. Like it was a very universal mix and there was not necessarily like a religious dogma that you would have to follow, which is kind of what a couple of friends that I actually recommended they may come to the ceremony a couple of christian friends were kind of worried about that that maybe in these ceremonies they're gonna impart certain religious or spiritual values on you that you might not agree with but that's not really the sense i I got it was very it was very open-minded and very universal
1: yeah yeah normally the of this circle the facilitators really say beforehand this is not uh we don't have a religion here but we we sing the prayers of myth systems across the world and there yeah there's an invite for people to make their own meaning of something bigger if they're called to um, it's probably a little harder to come in and totally be like a reductionist atheist but even then you could probably just take it take everything in as is you know um it's it's a nice concert to sort of being in, in circles that tend to play a lot of music but um i would really hope um people of a christian faith would feel comfortable to come to these sort of things and, and just like deepen their, you know, deepen their relationship to humanity and divinity uh, in the name of the perennial tradition of spirituality, which just kind of has, has a sense that, you know, we're all kind of pointing towards the same thing in our different languages.
0: Yeah. And then that, but that's not a view that everybody shares. No, I'm very aware, especially in the kind of, Christianity that's more popular here, kind of conservative evangelical Christianity. Mm, yeah, oh, around, <laughs> around your hood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very exclusive, which is actually yeah. <laughs> it's actually very different from like Orthodox Christianity and, and and other forms of ancient mystical Christianity, which is much more open-minded. Mm-hmm. So there, there, there is that religious difference there. And uh, actually, Dr. Matt Johnson, are you familiar with that name from Johns Hopkins?
1: He's yes, North yeah, White. yeah. I was
0: quoting mm-hmm. him the other day. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he's awesome. So he's been on the podcast before. Great guy. And obviously, there are revolutionary studies at Johns Hopkins are amazing with, with psilocybin for smoking addiction, alcohol addiction, depression, whatnot. He actually wrote a paper that I came across a while ago uh, where he was he set out certain guidelines for psychedelic facilitators to follow. And one of them, he was very explicit, was that be very careful not to... Impart any spiritual values Mm. on people in their sessions, actually, and I, I'm not going to name any any names or indicate at all, uh, you know who this was, but 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 there were a a couple of times in certain scenarios where I felt uh, a little bit of that, not not at this ceremony, um, at all, but a, a couple of times before where it was a little bit, um, like I was not that I was being indoctrinated, but that the facilitator maybe could. Not as much uh, express their own certain spiritual values, which were kind of they, they, they weren't Christian or Hindu or Buddhist, which all things that I'm very interested in. They were a little more kind of voodoo superstitious along those kind of lines. new I'm age to... is probably the word. Yeah, sorry. For yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. New I'm, age I'm guessing. I, I don't even know who the
1: who it was, but yeah. it's usually new age. That's the word. A, it's a gra- you know, it's, it's such a eclectic mix of ideas all over the place left and right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess, you know, that is something to, uh, you know, to keep in mind for people who are facilitating
1: these yeah. experiences is that you're going to have
0: people of, of different backgrounds, Christian, you know, atheist, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever. And to, 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 focus more on them as opposed to, you know, whatever your views are or whatever you think this person is yeah. experiencing. Yeah. With, um, psychotherapists and, and like
1: who, who train in psychedelic practice, that's like of a higher order. Uh, but, more, I would say, um, traditional healers and sometimes like shamanic practitioners, uh, they they're not under the same training auspice, so it's it's more likely there will be um, some exposure to some, you know, little top down ideas of kind of what what they're teaching. I would say, mm. yeah.
0: Okay, so back to the the ceremony. Is there is there anything you want to share? By the way, for from your experience, I, I'm kind of being a little limited in what I'm sharing personally because. I'm still processing um, a lot of very deep inner child issues that I've been exploring through counseling and some of the MDMA sessions last year. Um, but but you know you're you're obviously at a very different place. Is there anything you want to share personally from your experience? Something that you felt internally or connected externally? Yeah, well, well it, it's sort of an easy
1: one to share just because uh, I in the last like month a couple months I've I've been especially just September, I've been doing some very rigorous sort of unconscious like work to process some transitions in my life. And I use this San Pedro ceremony to integrate that. Like I, I in my practice, I, I, I consider that for me, the cactus medicine is it's light work. Like it, it really accentuates the positive for me. So for me, it was a sort of a feather in my cap of some other hard work I'd, I'd done. Um, I, I felt just quite, quite optimistic and positive, and it was about connecting with others. I, I, played, um, I played some music that I'd written over the last decade, and, and it, it, like, was, it there was like a, a, a big emotional resonance with a lot of participants, what meant, meant a lot. But the two things that like, were <laughs> really helpful were I was just laughing with indignance out in the grass at one point over how little control... I have over so many things I've tried to control and it was just so mm-hmm. freeing and humbling to just like accept what can't be controlled. And, um, you know, my ego is just like in a state of surrender. I was just, I was just just chuckling over that because I've just got, I've had a lot of very controlling periods in my life and it was just nice to let go of that. Um, mm. yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. That was nice. That's
0: awesome. So, sorry did you say there was something else did you say there was a second thing
1: well yeah the, I guess the other thing that just did actually bring up a lot of um, sadness was just the um, the shamanic facilitator was uh, playing a song related to to wartime and and I had just worked with a lot of uh, soldiers and I was just crying because I've collected so many stories over the years of of um, of men who were like enticed for very positive reasons to join the armed forces and then were hurt experienced um betrayal injury and just like profound sense of shame and aloneness and i was feeling just like the collective of hundreds of stories at once and i just really started crying at just the the sadness of good people getting hurt with good intentions but um it felt good to release because i don't often notice in my clinical work some of the residue that really sticks and, and just without stuff like magical cactus drinks that sort of put, put me in touch with my feelings. I, I don't know if I'd always noticed that it's just kind of sort of stuck
0: there somewhere. Um, I felt a lot of relief in the days after. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt a relief as well. And I felt I was able to better handle certain difficult life situations after the experience. It it, just, it, was, it was interesting how certain things aligned afterwards. And I, was, I felt like I was bit better able to, deal with those things um, because they, they, they prepped me emotionally to uh, to tackle those very difficult problems and have a bit more of a surrender and a bit more of a calm, um, especially after having been through something that exhausting and that sort of painful initially and, and difficult. You know, really getting through that and seeing a, a, a brighter other side was, was sort of like, wow, I can really... Uh, conquer some of this anxiety because that's mm-hmm. that, that was kind of a, a primary obstacle at first was some anxiety was coming up because everything was unfamiliar. I didn't really know anybody except for you and I didn't know what was going on and I was just feeling sort of weird pains in my body and was very confused but once that phase passed through and a couple of people helped me out to really release some emotions it was just, just a really loving surrender afterwards that I guess I'm I'm going to try to cultivate more and more um, in, in the coming days. I I've, I've been sick afterwards, so I haven't been able to integrate so, some of the things that I learned, but there were, there was a lot of integration material. Th- things that we actually already talked about in that podcast before the experience, particularly about love and compassion. It's just kind of the the the, the, the cactus kind of helped highlight with a uh, a bright yellow highlighter some of the the love and compassion that I was really thinking about it and really made me feel some of those things. So I think that those are things to, to carry on my belt and to continue to integrate.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, without outing your own process, just some of the things you were experiencing during the ceremony, the emotions you were uh, yeah. expressing just brought me into mine. And it was just like, I, it was such a relief just to see your heart opening to mm. to to love and all the the whole palette of emotions that come with that uh, it was you know it, it fueled up my batteries too it was um and and also you know i know there was a stressor or two you experienced in in the week after and you just you flowed with it with such grace you know so uh, it, it's just such a model of, of well that fluidity of healing we were ta- i was talking about earlier where like you know what does it mean when somebody's healed well tragedies still happen, but we find a way of dancing with them instead of just crashing
0: mm. yeah 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 i, I don't i don't want to downplay or, or forget that moment that that heart opening experience which i'm going to really think think more about and reflect mm-hmm. and i have a great counselor to work with and and we'll we'll definitely chat more privately one-on-one because we really had kind of a <laughs> a deep connecting moment there and i
1: mm-hmm. we really
0: appreciated you being there at that time it was just the, the perfect timing it just felt like something bigger cosmic was kind of happening through that particular moment that really taught me something. And I, I'm still that, that, that feeling is not just exclusive to, you know, cactus. It's, it's kind of there with me now still that I can kind of access more, more easily. So, um, and, and in respect to um, a difficult circumstance that came after the experience, I, I agree. I, I still don't know if that, if that's directly, you know, a causal relationship between the ceremony and what happened and the way I dealt with it. But, you know, whatever's going on, that in the mix of greater self-reflectiveness and counseling and letting go gradually over the past month, especially making a few really big breakthroughs, I, I was really, I guess, surprised now in retrospect to, to see how, how gracefully and how calmly and, and lovingly I was able to deal with a very, very difficult kind of pattern that was, that was uh, expressing kind of its ugliest form at me. Um, and I, the way I was able to deal with that carefully and not actually let it ruin my day or become this toxic stressful force that would just paralyze me when I was a kid actually, that you know the, the thing that I experienced afterwards um, that this interaction with this person that it, it would usually just totally destabilize me as a kid. But I think after the cactus experience, just the the loving surrender and the community and this 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 reinvigorating sense of hope for the future just was the the perfect reset i needed i think to deal with this very difficult circumstance and i, and I think i think uh, many people should uh look into doing things like this so they can better deal with challenging circumstances when they come
1: yeah yeah no
0: well put that's that's it that's it brother yeah <laughs> all right well good chatting with you
1: a yeah experience. no, yeah no. I I cheers to more and yeah. Let's definitely we'll find our time to talk offline about some of the other details.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and look forward to future ceremonies and uh, and again, I, I message you this, but your know, thanks for kind of the the last minute uh, sort of not not an invite, but you just kind of mentioned it, and uh, I, I had no plans to ever do this anytime soon, but it just felt like the right timing right now, just to kind of push myself a little bit and get out of my comfort zone. I think I, I think I got what I needed and that's just, just stemmed from you mentioning it. Otherwise I would have never known. So
1: yeah, that works out great. I appreciate I, you doing that.
0: I, I wouldn't have thought, I wouldn't have thought you, you'd you want to, cause I know
1: you're putting some space, but I'm really glad you did because I think it was kind of your sophomore, um, psychedelic experience and yeah, I don't know. You did really well. Yeah.
0: All right. Thanks Carson. Good, okay. to you.
1: Good night, man.